0: If your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, also I always encourage you to bring yourself a paper Bible, but we also have our notes. If you have a smartphone with you, pull it out on the uh, Uversion app, which is super popular and cool. You can do a little search for nearby events and they have little instructions on the screen for how you can find that. It has all of our notes and scriptures on there. You can take notes right along with us, save them for future use. Um, yeah, so there we go. You can tell I didn't rehearse that at all. That's we roll. <laughs> Transition. Um, yeah, if you have your Bibles, we're continuing our series called Breakthrough, and the word breakthrough is a really kind of a cool word. Um, I love reading history uh, and lots of biographies of, of, you know, people that were military leaders. I've spent about, I think I'm up to over 100 hours of reading Winston Churchill so far this year. Uh, my wife wasn't supposed to hear that, but I forgot she's in here, but... <laughs> um, I've just been, I just really pour myself into trying to understand other people and, and great leaders and leadership and things like that. And one of the things that, that's really kind of cool about reading in his life and the two different wars that he was involved in is that in World War One, one of the cities that he was really concerned about was Antwerp because, and that's is a funny name too, Antwerp, is he knew that this was a really strategic city and the word breakthrough actually has a military connotation to it. It meant that there was a city or a stronghold that if you could break through this place, then it would open up the doors for you to be able to take the rest of the land. So for the Dutch, they had Antwerp, and it was, we need to hold on to this place because if the Germans are able to take Antwerp, then it's going to open up the entire rest of the nation. We won't be able to stop them from advancing. And uh, the the Germans knew we need to put all of our forces and all of our attention on conquering this city because that's going to be the key to us breaking through. Uh, it's the same way for us, is that a breakthrough is always something that happens that's a part of a spiritual battle that's going on inside of us. The enemy, he knows a lot more about us uh, most times than we know about ourselves. Uh, when I think he's better at seeing the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the callings that are on you and what your holy potential is if you ever were able to live that out fully following Jesus, then probably you know yourself. And because he recognizes your gifts, your talents, abilities, the call of God on your life, what he does is he sets up strongholds and there are these breakthrough places where he knows, as long as I can keep you from really following after Jesus in this area, as long as I can keep you from taking full possession of the promise of God in this area, is going to keep you from being able to take hold of the promise of God and the call of God over your entire life. So the enemy will come to these strategic places in your life to oppose you. But what we need to do is instead of just ceding that to the enemy and saying, that's it, I'm just going to have to find something else to do with my life, is we have to come and say, the enemy has built up a stronghold here, but we're going to see breakthrough. And the way that we do that is isn't we, we don't fight the way that people fight. It's not a flesh and a blood war that we fight. It's a spiritual battle that we fight. And the way that we go all in on this spiritual battle is through persistent prayer. We see an example of this in the Exodus story. Uh, the you know God is, is trying to, to fulfill the redemption of all of humanity. He starts out with one man, Abraham, who he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn you into a multitude of nations and that my blessing on you will then enable the whole rest of the world to be blessed through you. And that was looking forward to Jesus coming from the line of Abraham and being salvation for every person on the face of the earth. So what the enemy does is he recognizes the call of God and the blessing that God wants to pour out on this people group. So he opposes them and makes them end up being slaves in Egypt. He says, if God wants to bless you and use you to bless all of the nations, then I'm going to oppress you. And instead of you living with blessing, you're going to live in bondage. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from being able to follow everything that God has called you to do. So what was it that the people of God did to see breakthrough in their life and freedom from Egyptian slavery? Well, it says that they prayed. Like for 400 years they prayed. They prayed. Persistent prayers. And this is what God actually says to Moses when he lets Moses know what he's going to do. He says, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen their oppression. And I'm going to come and I'm going to deliver them. He says, I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham and to lead them into their own place and to continue to bless them. And that's exactly what happens. Enemy opposes, builds this breakthrough moment in the life of like, you can't go any farther, this is the stronghold, the people of God pray, God miraculously comes down, spiritually fights the battle for them, it sees breakthrough in their life, so they're able to go and to do everything God created them to do, and to be everything God created them to be. And it's the same thing that happens in our life, there's the strategic places where Satan is going to oppose you. Because he knows that if you see breakthrough in this place, that you're going to fulfill the destiny and the call of God on your life. And the way that Israel, and if you read through the Bible, just story after story of the enemy opposing people, they always saw breakthrough because they became people who were persistent in their prayers and called on the power of God to come and to enter into the situation and to do the things that they could not do for themselves. And... For us to be able to be people who are persistent in our prayers so we can see breakthrough in our life, uh, there's a couple of things that have to happen in us. Because a lot of times what happens is we recognize that we should pray. Like you're in a church, you probably have some kind of agreement that Christians should pray or else you wouldn't be here. You believe that God moves in response to the prayers of his people. You believe that prayer is powerful. But oftentimes what happens is when you begin to pray for something, yes, God, I want to see breakthrough in this area. And then a day passes, and there's no breakthrough, and you're like, all right, guess I'll like, try more these and thous in my prayer this time, oh, sweet heavenly host. And you pray for two days and still no answer, and you pray more like, okay, I'm going to fast this time. Jesus, no ice cream for me today because I'm serious about needing breakthrough. And time can go by, and you still haven't seen the answer to the prayer that you've been praying. And a lot of times what can happen when time enters into it is you begin to lose heart you begin to lose hope. You start to say, God, maybe is there something wrong with me, with the way I'm praying? Maybe I was just dreaming this thing. This isn't really what you've called me to. Uh, Maybe this really is the limit for what my life can be and following after you as a disciple. Or Maybe God isn't good. Maybe God doesn't want to bless me. Maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought he was. But whatever it might be for you, any time distance or you know, a timeline begins to enter into our prayers, the longer it goes on, the more we can begin to lose heart and to lose hope over what it is that we've been believing God for. Jesus knows this about us, and he actually addressed this in Luke chapter 18 about how it is that we can be persistent in our prayers. And he's speaking, and he says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So what Jesus is saying in this parable is there's a widow, and a widow means that she's someone that has no power, she has no advocates for her, she has no money, most likely. Uh, she's a perfect symbol of someone that is poor and oppressed and has no way to avenge themselves or to see what it is that she needs to have happen in her life. Someone's taking advantage of her, someone's uh, you know, doing something that's messing with her, that's keeping her from being able to live the way that she's supposed to live the only recourse that she has is to go to the judge and ask for him to use his power and his authority on her behalf. But I love the the judge like the inner monologue that he lets us all in on because I don't re, I don't regard man or this widow like I don't care about anything about this widow but he, but he says that the reason that he ends up moving on behalf of the widow is because of this persistence that she has. And coming to him again and again and again, it's every day, it's, you know, avenge me, come and move on my behalf. And he's like, no, and the next day there's that widow again and again and again, just always waiting for him, always petitioning him, always coming after him. So eventually he gets to the point of where he's just completely wearied down by her because of her persistence and her asking, and it's because of that that he then moves on her behalf. Now, when we begin to apply this to our own lives, I think it's clear that Jesus is saying that he wants us to be persistent in our prayers. And it's easier for us to identify with a widow and say there are needs that we have. The reason we need to be persistent in our prayers is because there are needs that every single one of us have in our life or where it's something bigger than ourselves. It's something that we need God, the heavenly judge, to move and to use his power and authority on our behalf. But the thing that we might not understand from this parable is the heart motivation of God in answering our prayers. See, too many times when I read this, what I would do is I'd look at it and say, all right, so what I have to do is if I really want to see breakthrough in my life, if I really want to see God move, then what I have to do is I just have to weary him out. Like, I am, I'm going to be the squeaky wheel. Jesus is going to hear it from Dowling, Michigan, where I was growing up and reading this, like I'm just gonna make sure I'm just gonna keep petitioning him again and again because my mindset, based on reading this, was that like I gotta put God in like the like twist his arm around enough so that he's gonna see I'm really serious and that he'll finally be so wearied by my continual petitioning, is like, okay, Jeremy. Like enough, just stop, just leave me alone, just go back to what you were doing. I will move for you, and I think that's the way that a lot of us can read this story. But really to understand it, and it's funny is because I always read the whole story, but I just never saw it this way for a long time, was it continues as Jesus begins to explain this more. He says, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith On the earth, what Jesus is doing is he's helping us. He's unpacking this for us and saying, "You can all relate to the unjust judge. Like you think we have bad politicians now and unjust judges now? Like that's been forever. People like two thousand years ago, they were dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with now. They can understand that. But Jesus says, God, or He's not like the unjust judge. He doesn't move because of the fact that we weary Him out." He's without beginning and he's without end. And we're what, 80, 90 years if we have a really good life? You can't weary out someone who has no beginning and no end. The reason why God moves in response to the persistence of our prayers, it says, is because we are his own. That's the motivation of God. We're his own. And when he hears us crying out for mercy, when he hears us crying out for judgment, when he hears us crying out for provision, he moves in response to those prayers just because of who we are. The question then that Jesus wraps the story up with is he says, okay, this is who God is. This is why he's going to move in response to the persistence of your prayers. But the question I have for all of you is this he going to find faith on the earth? See, faith is always a key part of our prayers. The reason why we pray is because there's some level of faith that's attached to it. We don't do things that we believe produce no result. Everything we do, we do because we think it's going to produce something. We have faith that our actions are going to lead to something. So when we pray, it's always we're praying out of faith. When we eat, when we sit down on chairs, we sit down with faith that the chair is going to hold us. Everything we do has some measure of faith attached to it. And really what we've done in a lot of our our church world is we've kind of taken faith, and we talk about faith all the time, and we've separated it from the person of Jesus, and faith has become its own sort of entity, it's become its own idol that we worship at. And we think, okay, if I just have enough faith, then I'm going to see this. So that's why you see people, and they're like, you know what, I got faith that the Lord is going to bless me with a Porsche. And I'm like, all right. I mean, Jesus rode around on a donkey on his best day. Like, you should be happy with a Honda. Like, but whatever, like, why do you have faith that God's going to give you a Ferrari? It's like, because I want one. Well, what you've done now is you've taken faith and you've separated it from the person of Jesus. You've taken faith and you've separated it from the purpose and the will of God. And now you've just made it something that's like an idol that you worship at. If I just have enough faith. I'm just going to worship at this idol of faith. And now I'm going to be able to get all of the things that I want. What Jesus is talking about is not just having a faith that's become an idol that's disconnected from himself. What he's saying is that we need a faith in who he is. What God is saying is that he's coming. And we are his own. And that when he comes to the earth and he's answering our persistent prayers, the question that he has for us is do we have a faith and who God is. Because the faith that we have in who God is is going to determine if we are persistent in our prayers or if eventually we end up losing heart, giving up, and compromising, and not seeing the breakthrough that God really has for us in our lives. So then who is God? I think it's really important to come back and to, to really let Jesus define who he is. And this is one of the things that he says to his disciples They come and, and, you know, they say, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Because we notice that when you pray, uh, breakthrough happens. And we want to be able to see the kind of breakthrough in our lives that we see in your life when you're praying. So Jesus says, okay. And in Matthew, he starts teaching them how to pray. And in verse 9 of chapter 6, it says, then this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. I imagine when the disciples heard that, they were like, wait, what? What did you just say? the disciples, they had all kinds of prayers. I mean, they prayed all the time. They grew up going to their school. They learned all of the Jewish prayers. There were prayers for everything. There was blessings for everything, for any kind of situation you could find yourself in, for any kind of sin you had committed or temptation you were facing. Like, there was a prayer for it. But there wasn't a single prayer that started out with Father. Creator, Holy One, Majestic One. Those are all true statements about who God is. Every single one of them. But what Jesus was doing was he was showing that there was something more that they'd been missing out on. That God's our Father. He goes back to we're his own. And he's our father. This was a blasphemous idea to a lot of people. The idea that this pure, perfect, holy God who was just could have that kind of a relationship with sinful, fallen people. There were, I mean, you could get stoned for saying something like that. It was an offensive statement to many people that God is your Father. That that's the relationship that He's chosen to have with you. That's the way he's, He relates to you. You're His child and He's your Father. And even today, that's an offensive and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to be able to accept. All that, we talk about God as our Father a whole lot uh, in this church, and quite often I'll have people that will talk to me after services or call, email, whatever, and they say, you know, I really have trouble with you saying that God's a Father. I think it'd be easier to reach more people if you stop talking about God as a Father. And I don't get mad at people when they do this, like, you're free to ask me anything that you want. But what I want to do is, I want to get down to to the heart of why this is going on in them. And I already know the answer because I've done this enough. I'll say, well, tell me about your life. Like, why is this hurtful to you? Why is this offensive to you? Why is it hard for you to see God as your father? And every time it goes back to the fact that they had an earthly father who was abusive who was neglectful, who was vindictive, who was unforgiving, who was a hard man. There's just all sorts of things that, that people bring, kind of baggage, that come along with the idea of a father, the image of a father when we come to God. And this is why. The relationship that you're supposed to have with your father here on this earth is supposed to be a reflection of the relationship that we're called to have with our Heavenly Father. Someone who provides for you, someone who loves you unconditionally, someone who's filled with mercy and grace for you, someone who sacrifices and humbles of themselves to be able to serve you. These are the things that God is and that he does for us, and that we're supposed to be able to understand about him by the way that our Father was to us. But anything that's good in this world, what Satan will do is he will pervert it. He will take something that God created as being good and he will try to twist it and to contort it and to make it into something ugly. And then what happens is if you grow up with a father who abused you, now you view God as being abusive. I can't trust my earthly father because he took advantage of me. I can't trust my earthly father because of these things. So now I can't trust my heavenly father because that's the way that fathers are. If you had a father who wasn't forgiving towards you, Now when you view God, you don't see that your heavenly father is going to be able to forgive you. If you have a father who didn't provide for you because he was selfish, now you're going to look at the things that you need God, your father, to give to you, but you won't believe that he's going to give you those things because you have a distorted view of the way a father is supposed to be. A father who's going to withhold from you. A father who's going to neglect you. A father who won't love you unconditionally. A father who you have to earn love from. These are all ways that Satan has tried to pervert the way that we view God through fallen, broken relationships with our earthly fathers. And I mean, I'm a father, I get it. Every single one of us, we fail. We fail to live up to the image of God over and over and over again when it comes to being a father because we're imperfect, fallen creatures. But our imperfection and the abuse, the perversion that we experience on this earth doesn't change the reality of who God is. And for us to really be able to receive from God and to be able to take hold of everything that's made possible for us, we have to come to that understanding, that faith in who God is. And He has revealed Himself as a Father. Not like the fathers that we have here, but a good Father who's perfect, a Father who loves you unconditionally, a Father who sacrifices for you, a Father who's gentle, a Father who's kind. A father who goes before you and is your provision. A father who is your protection. The father who gives you the identity as a son or as a daughter of God. If we can't see God as a father, there are so many things that we're going to miss out on. I became more aware of this when I became a dad. Uh, I remember when Ethan was born and he came out six years ago, this little squawky gray alien thing that only a parent could love. (laughs) You know how that is? Felt like the newborn pictures like just came out, it's like, oh gosh, that's ugh. But when it's your own little gray alien, you love it. And I remember holding him and making eye contact with him as I'm holding him. It was like in the Grinch, like my heart like grew two sizes. And there was this whole part of my heart that I didn't know existed. There was a love that I didn't know that could exist until I became a father. And that part of it was unlocked. And if you have kids, you know exactly what that's like. And if you don't have kids, you don't have a clue. Like That's just the reality of it. I thought I knew before I had kids, but I did Like so many things in life, it turns out I had no idea. And two things happened. So one, I was just like overwhelmed by the love that I had for my child. And then I felt like the biggest jerk on the face of the earth. And I kid you not as soon as they got him, like the hand off to the nurse to clean him up and everything, I called my parents, like, hey, we had a baby. You should come down and and see us. And uh, by the way, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I had no idea how much you loved me. I was such a jerk. Like, you just loved me so much and so unconditionally, you just wanted the best for me. And I doubted your motives. I doubted all of these different things about you and about your love. I thought I had to earn your love in these different ways. I just had no idea like, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And they just laughed. I'm like, yeah, we felt the same way when we had your sister. And I'm like, all right. So that's a little encouraging. And someday, hopefully, my kids, when they have their first kid, they'll be like, I had no idea how much you loved me, Dad. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I said, oh, my gosh. God loves me like that. I never understood how these parents we can say that there's some awful people in this world, and they all have moms and dads that just love them. And you think, what is wrong with these parents? How could they love their child when they've done such horrible things? And then I got it. Because a father doesn't love their kid because of what they've done. A father loves their kid because of who they are. It's my son. It's my daughter. There will be things they do in life that are wrong. I'm not going to be those parents that tries to justify everything my kids do. There's good and there's wrong. And when my kids do wrong, I'm going to teach them to repent of it, to own it, and to follow after Jesus again. And there's consequences for when we sin. There's consequences for when we do wrong. My kids won't walk in my favor and my blessing when they're walking in open rebellion of everything that I've created them to do and to be. And it's the same way with God, but I will always love them no matter what they might do, no matter what might be done to them. I will always love them unconditionally because the love of a father for their child isn't about what they do. It's about who they are. They're your own. And that's the way God loves us. It's not about what we've done because we've all done horrible things. Every single one of us Things that make us think that we've disqualified ourselves from the love of god we might have disqualified ourselves from the favor and the blessing of god because of what we were doing but we've never disqualified ourselves from his love and like a father His heart is just always waiting just come back come back to me repent come back because i love you you can walk in my favor you can walk in my blessing again but i'm always going to love you no matter what That's the way that a father loves their kids. And that's the way that our heavenly father loves us. And if we don't understand that about who God is, then we're not going to be persistent in our prayers. Because when when we view God as something less than that, someone who doesn't love us unconditionally, when we view God as someone who, who doesn't have good intentions for us, then it's just going to keep creating distance going to keep creating separation between us and between god and we won't persist in our prayers to see breakthrough in our life we'll withdraw from him because we don't believe that he wants to pour out blessing on us and and here's the other thing that happens i think i skipped my first point did i something about prayer and persistence i don't know (laughs) so i'm skipping it anyways uh so persistent prayer is fueled by faith in who god is and then that was supposed to be my first point And then uh, here's what happens, though, is is when you begin to have a revelation of who God is, is it begins to change the way that you relate to God. In Matthew 17, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, he just cast a demon out of a kid that they couldn't cast a demon out of. And he says, hey, like, you're faithless, all of that stuff. And so then in, in Matthew 17, verses 19 through 20, It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, So what that's saying is that faith in who God is moves the mountain of separation from God. Some of you have had a father who's distant from you. you. Might love your father. Your father might love you but you're living on other sides of the world and you just can't be close to them. You can't enjoy that kind of relationship with them. And for a lot of us, that's the way that we have a relationship with God. Is like, God, I believe you love me and I really love you, but I can't know you. I, I just have to wait for heaven to be able to enjoy a relationship with you, to know you deeply, to know you intimately, to know you closely. And what Jesus is saying is, as he's speaking about this is that if we have just a mustard seed Faith, like it was the smallest seed that they had at the time. If we have just that much faith, that we can say to the mountain, move from here to there. Uh, when we read this, we're two thousand years removed from the culture. Uh, we don't understand the Jewish culture that it's being written to. We don't understand what's going on at the time. So we read it with our modern mindset removed from all of that, and we say, like, okay, so I can speak to mountains and I can move them if I just have a little bit of faith. And have you ever tried that? Like, I've actually tried it with a mountain. I was in Colorado hiking the Incline Trail. Had been in Colorado for less than 12, I think it was about 12 hours, and I'm trying to climb. It starts at like 5,500 feet, and then it gains another 5,000 feet over this trail. It's just straight up, it seems like. So halfway up, I'm like, Jesus, let move this mountain because I'm going to die. Like, I don't think I can make it up, and I, I'm going to have to roll down because there's no way this is happening. Nothing happened. We say As an analogy, like to other mountains in your life that you come across, where you just have to have faith like a mustard seed, and you'll be able to cast the mountain away. Have you ever tried that? It doesn't work. So then you think, I must have no faith, because I've come up across this mountain, and instead of it just moving out of the way so I can walk through it, I find myself having to climb the hill. I keep having to climb this struggle that I'm encountering to get to the other side. And there's whole theologies that come across, well, if you didn't get whatever it was that you wanted, it was because you didn't have enough faith. Because if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, I've had people like say that after you lose someone that you love. Well, they just didn't have enough faith for their healing. You don't say that to someone who just lost someone they love. What this is talking about is Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's teaching this. He doesn't say, speak to a mountain. He says, speak to this mountain, a very specific mountain And in Jerusalem, there was the one mountain. It was Mount Moriah. That's the background. That's the mountain that Jesus is saying that you can speak to this mountain, to Mount Moriah, and it will be moved. Now, to the Jewish culture, Mount Moriah was extremely significant. It was the place where Abraham, when God tested his faith and said, I want you to come and to sacrifice your son to me, it took him to Mount Moriah was the place that he took. And he built the altar there. He was going to sacrifice his son and at the last minute, God miraculously provides a ram for him to sacrifice. It's the place where mercy was poured out when, when David had sinned and he could see the angel that was coming of God's wrath. It was at Mount Moriah where God's hand was stayed and God's mercy was extended towards sinful, fallen humanity. Mount Moriah was the place where they built the temple. And the temple was all about this idea that because of our sinfulness and our fallenness, And because of God's great holiness, we can't be close to each other. And so God instituted a system of sacrifice, going back to Abraham and his son, and then God providing. On the same mountain, on this mountain, you come and you sacrifice animals because the penalty for our sin is death. We don't understand how severe our sin is, that our sin is treason against God, that our sin has perverted God's good and holy creation. We don't have an understanding of the significance and how bad our sin is. But God says your sin is so severe that it demands your very life to atone for it. That's the, if God is just, he says that justice being done is that your life is demanded of you. But that's not his heart for us. So he says, I'm creating a placeholder, and you're going to come here and you're going to sacrifice animals because what I want you to remember is that your sin is so great that it demands blood to be able to atone for it. I don't ever want you to forget that. I don't ever want you to forget how great your sin is and how holy and pure and just I am. So, at Mount Moriah, you come here and you sacrifice your animal for your own sins, and it reminds you of the fact that I'm sinful and I'm fallen and that God is so holy and pure and just, and I have failed to to live up to his standard for my life. I've failed to live up to being everything he created me to be and to doing everything he created me to do. I have been a part of the perversion of the world, of God's good, perfect creation. And this animal is bearing in itself the penalty that I deserve. It was a symbol of separation from God, God being separate from humanity because of our sinfulness. And so Jesus looks to this mountain, the symbol of sacrifice, the symbol of our separation from God, and he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, the separation between man and God be removed from here to there, and it's going to happen. You see, it was on that mountain Where God provided for Abraham, it was looking forward to when God would provide his son for us. It should have been us that died. It should have been us that went to the cross. That's what justice would be. But God said, I don't desire justice, I desire mercy. And so he poured out mercy on us by sending his own son to go to the cross to be the sacrifice for us so that our sins could be atoned for, so that the mountain that separated humanity from God could be once and for all removed. All it takes is that mustard seed faith. It says, Jesus, I believe who you are. God, you are my Father, and you're the Father who's provided the sacrifice for me so that I can know you. You're not the Father who's separated and who's removed from me anymore but I believe that you're the God who's drawn close to me. You're the Father who's been pursuing me. You're the Father who's made a way for me to know you. The mountain between us and God has been removed. When you understand that God's your Father and what that means, what that entitles you to as a child, what his heart is like, and when you begin to understand that God has removed every barrier and every obstacle that stood in your way, then you're going to become someone who prays with great persistence, never losing heart, never losing hope, because you have faith in who Jesus is. Have you ever been in, in bed at night? You hear beep. Beep. I'm not good at beeping, sorry. There ever knows that your fire alarms, batteries, they never die during the day? <laughs> it only happens at night when you're sleeping. I was watching my pastor, Pastor Lee, who's, uh, who's the one that sent us to start this church. Um, I was watching his kids. He and his wife were on uh, a vacation in Israel doing the, you know, the whole tour, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm watching his kids with Anna, and she's like 12 months pregnant. And uh, we're in bed, and it's 2 a.m. Beep. I think I just heard something. Beep. Honey. What? Go see what that is. Why don't you? <laughs> beep. Uh, it's the fire alarm. Battery's dead. We'll change it in the morning. Beep. You see, like you're trying to put the pillows over your head. You're like, oh, just, just let me get the beep. I Go look. It's like, you know, wander out. It's not my house. You're just like staggering around. Like, where is it? You track down. It's a cathedral ceiling. (laughs) His son, Jared, wakes up, and, you know, he staggers out there, too. Hey, Jared, where's your dad's ladder? (laughs) He doesn't have a ladder. (laughs) You have a cathedral ceiling. (laughs) Yeah, you need a ladder. (laughs) What do you do when you have to change the batteries? He borrows one from a friend. 3 a.m. Let's just go back to bed, all right? We'll, we'll borrow a ladder in the morning and go back to bed. Beep. Beep. Beep, 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 beep. 3.30. All of us are out there. All, all three kids, Anna and I, we're staring at it. Like Jared grabbed the table. So we grab the table in the kitchen and we carry it out. And then we go and we get like their little seat couch thing put that on top of that, and then get another chair and set that on top. Jared, hold on to this thing. Baby on the way. i got to raise my child. I'm like, just like hitting it. <laughs> just let go. But what happened is even that stupid thing wore me out. I was willing to risk my life at 3.30 in the morning because it just wore me out. Eventually, when something annoys you enough, you'll get up and you'll do something about it. What happens though, when you're asleep and it's 2 a.m., you hear your child say, Daddy! You don't turn to your wife and say, Maybe they'll go back to bed. It's your turn. You don't let them for an hour and a half go, Daddy, help! Dad, I need you! Daddy! what the heart of a father does in that situation you jump up and you fly to their room what's wrong I'm here I'm here what's wrong what do you need why because of the love that you have for them you do anything to make sure that your kids were safe that they had everything that they needed that they were comforted that they were filled with hope and joy and peace They don't have to beg you to do that. It's your honor. It's your privilege as a parent to be able to go and to do that. It's your desire. It's the desire of your heart. If you keep viewing God as someone who doesn't care, you think that you have to be the fire alarm that just keeps chirping in the night, you'll give up. You'll never see breakthrough in your life. You'll never receive everything God has for you. You'll never know Him as your Father. But when you get this idea that you're the child in the bed, that you just say, Daddy, just once, your father moves. And it says that he moves speedily, though he suffers long with us, which means sometimes it can take a really long time to get the answer to the prayers that we're praying but he begins moving the moment that he hears us pray. There's all kinds of things that are going on that we don't understand, that we're not privy to, reasons why we might not see the answers to the prayers and the times that we want them. But what we see over and over again in scriptures that from the first time we cry out, Daddy, he begins to move. He hears us and he moves on our behalf. Because he's a father. And we're his own. We're his daughter's. And we're his sons. That's what Ian Bound said. I love it, it's so beautiful because he really captures the heart of what prayer is. He said, prayer is the helpless and needy child crying to the compassion of the Father's heart and the bounty and the power of a Father's hand. Every time we pray, we come as that needy child and we're drawing on the compassion and we're drawing on the power of our Heavenly Father who nothing is impossible for. Our Heavenly Father who's good and who's perfect. The Heavenly Father who delights in going above and beyond we can ever think or imagine to ask for. The Heavenly Father who sent His only Son to die on the cross for our own sins so that the mountain of separation between us and him could be removed. That's the father that we cry out to when we pray. The question that Jesus has for us this morning is will faith be found in you? Will you have faith in who Jesus is? Will you have faith that our God is the good Father? Will you have faith that that mountain of separation has been removed and now you can know your Father deeply and intimately and that he delights in bringing breakthrough into your life? He created you for a purpose. He has callings over you. He has assignments over you, things he's created you to do. There's someone that God has created you to be. And at the root of all of it is that you were created to be a child. Until you take hold of that, everything else is going to be locked to you. The moment that you have that unlocking of, oh my gosh, he loves me. He loves me more than I ever knew. He loves me more than I ever could have imagined. He loves me more than I ever could have hoped for. That's the faith that he's looking for. And that's the faith that'll unlock breakthrough in our life because it's going to drive us to prayer, to calling on our Father. Breakthrough, it's usually not achieved just by prayer alone. We've been talking about all the things that are part of breakthrough, like humbling yourself, about persistence and tenacity and grit and never giving up and pursuing after Him. But you will never see breakthrough without persistent, prevailing, constant, enduring, focused prayer that is motivated and sustained by faith in who God is. Would you stand with me this morning? Just take a moment to listen to what God has to say to our hearts. Because he talks. He still speaks. I believe he wants to speak to you this morning. God, would you search our hearts Would you show us what our faith really is? Is there faith in you as our good father? Or is it something less? God, do we have faith in you as being the one who removed the mountain of separation between us and you so that now we can draw near, so that now we can know you? Is there a faith still in that we have to make ourselves right before you? We have to try to earn your love. We have to try to earn your affection. God, do we need a new revelation of who you are this morning? This morning, if you haven't had that revelation of the Father, heart of God over you, God's the only one that can do that. There's nothing I can say, there's nothing I can do that can unlock that for you. But every time you ask your father for a demonstration of love or some sort of affirmation of his love, he'll do that. If you want to know God as father this morning, be so bold as to raise your hand, every eye's closed, every head's bowed, but this is a symbol of faith of God, I need that. God, I want to know you. I want to know you as my Father, the God who never disappoints me, the God who loves me unconditionally and perfectly. God, I want to know you as the one who's moved the mountains so that I can know you. Yes, thank you. God, for every hand that's raised this morning, would you come? Jesus, would you speak something to their hearts now? God, would you do something inside of their spirit? God, that would confirm the love that you have for them. And you said that there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no shame for all of those who are in Christ Jesus because it's all been taken away from us because you love us that much. Jesus, I just pray for ways of your love to roll and to flow through this room, to infect every single heart, to give us new identity, God. God, would you speak to them? Would they see the worth and the beauty that they have in the eyes of their perfect and heavenly Father? God would they know how loved they are that they don't have to earn it. God would you break off that lie of them feeling like they have to earn your love. God it would be broken now and forevermore never to come back to them. But that they would know the warm embrace of their father. God, I pray that their hearts would be strangely warmed even now by your love and your affection. Jesus, you said it was your goodness that would lead us to repentance. So, Heavenly Father, pour out your goodness over this room and every hand that's raised. God, that would lead us to new levels of repentance. Jesus, that would build new faith inside of our hearts for who you are. Jesus, you said that if we would draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. So we take you at your word for that this morning. Would you come? Jesus, we're making room. We're drawing near to you. God, would you come now and would you draw near to us? In here who just feels so ugly and broken because of what they've done. Like maybe they betrayed their father, that they knew him and his goodness and his love and his mercy, but they did things that they knew broke his heart and drove a wedge between you and him. He removed it though He removed that wedge. He removed that mountain of separation. He's just calling you back. He's saying, daughter, come to me. Daughter, I love you. Daughter, you're beautiful. Daughter, you might have done these things, but I'm the one who cleanses you. I'm the one who purifies you. I'm going to separate your sin like the east is from the west, and I'll remember it no more. And I want to pour out my blessing. I want to pour out my favor. I want to pour out my love over you. If that's you this morning, just receive that. Believe that. Build your faith in who Jesus is. God, over every heart here, continue to confirm that in us. Jesus, let Radiant Church be a church that desperately loves their Father and is just overwhelmed by the outpouring of your love over us. Let that change our identity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. we are just going to be in, in the front, outside here. If there's anything we can pray over you for, let us pray for you. Maybe you need more revelation. Maybe you need some encouragement. You just need someone to cry with. Maybe you need healing in your body, wisdom for a decision or relationship that needs repair, reconciliation. Whatever it is, we see God move miraculously every every single week in response to the prayers of his people. It's not weird that Christians pray with each other. It's weird when we don't pray for each other. So if we can pray for you, come, let us pray for you. If not, remember we have the night of worship coming up next Sunday night at 630 right here. Uh, what's awesome about worship is we receive so much love from God and we just need to have that place where we can express our love back to him. So come, be here, let's show Jesus how much we love him. And what I've always discovered is every time you pour out love on God, like you're overwhelmed by how much more he pours back on you. It's like, no, Jesus, I'm here for you, but you He always just gives you so much more. So come, worship Jesus with us. We pray right here every Thursday night at 8 p.m. I said 8 a.m. at the first service. They will be sorely disappointed. (laughs) Come, pray with us. Let's worship together. Go drink some coffee, make some friends. Go to your breakthrough groups, and we'll see you next week. God bless.